stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's senior strategist, Kevin Cook, to talk about retail this time. We're not we're not talking about when to sell your stocks on this episode, um, even though I normally do have Kevin on to discuss that. But we're going to the positive. We're talking about retail and innovation in retail right now. Who are the winners coming out of this pandemic? Who is the best chance to thrive? Who is innovating in this space? Because a lot is going on in retail. It's not you know, your pre-pandemic retail anymore. They are moving in new directions and there are going to be some who are going to thrive even if a recession hits because they're already planning for these changes and instituting these changes. So Kevin, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Tracy. And I just want to say a couple things before we start. Number one, uh, I saw the stats for your podcast, the Market Edge podcast, and I'm just blown away. You're like, uh, you're on pace to do like 1.3 million downloads this year. You know, you look like, yeah. well, I think you just crossed like the 600,000 mark, right? For for the yeah. first two quarters. Yeah. So, and that is just a testament to the way you have treated this. Like you just set out that you knew that consistency was queen and you just yeah. did a podcast every week. I mean, you probably missed like one a year, right? Well, a couple of vacations. So, yeah. but yeah, only only a few a year are missed. Yeah. Right. And just uh, sure. always great content. Obviously, people love it. The other thing I want to say is so you invited me on your show to talk about stocks again, which we love to do. Um, yeah. But I have to say, for the topics of retail and e commerce, um, I am not the expert here. I consider you the expert. So I may end up asking you more questions than I can answer. Well, I don't know about that. Um, it, it is unusual to have you on for retail, though, I have to say. Uh, normally, I used to have Maddie on when she was still with us here at Saks. And we would go on, you know, the deeper tangents into all things retail. Right, you guys could talk for hours, yeah. Yeah, but there is a lot going on now that I feel like I can't even keep up anymore. Because there is a lot of innovation, a lot of new brands. Uh, things are happening now that we're coming out of the pandemic into the reopen. You know, consumers are buying different items now. It was retail was kind of easy, strangely enough, other than supply chain issues during the pandemic, because uh, you know people were buying everything just to stay at home and to vacation at home and you know to have experiences at home. But that's gone now. And so now we're back to what what is the rest of uh, retail going to look like now that we're going back out into the world? So, yeah, yeah it's definitely obviously the, the, the competition um, just heats up with all this new innovation, yes. too. And I think you saw the headline yesterday that they um, I saw one headline that the, the CEO of Gap was fired, which was from Bloomberg. Yeah, like, yeah, Bloomberg okay. says the CEO uh, was fired. Uh, her name is Sonia Singal, yeah. and but others just say she stepped down. So I don't know which it was, but okay. you you say there's four brands there, and yeah. that maybe the problem is that she was managing all four of them. What are the four brands of Gap again? Besides, well, I know Old Navy. Yeah, Old Navy, Gap, Banana Republic, and Athleta, which Athleta, is their popular right. brand that competes against 
Lululemon and in that category. And Mm -hmm. that one, you know, is still in the big expansion mode. Nobody's complaining about it. Still has the best comps. That kind of athleisure clothing is still big and in. So that's not the problem. Um, Gap, you know, they have the CEO, but then they have the presidents of each of the brands too. So it's not totally her fault necessarily at what's going on in the underlying brands. Uh, But, uh, you know, uh, maybe people don't remember pre-pandemic, there was a plan to spin off several of the brands and make them their own separate entity. I think it was Old Navy, um, maybe it was just Old Navy that was going to be spun off because oh, that was right. one of their their big successful brands, and it's it's big internationally. Like there's a lot of them in Mexico, for instance. And then they said, "No, we're not going to do that." And then they didn't. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. Some of these companies that have the multiple brands, I know they all describe it as the omni-channel and it works because you can have the, the credit card and the reward program for one and then it's used at all of them and this creates loyalty to all the brands. I get all that because I have a Banana Republic card and I use it at all the brands. So yeah, in that way it does help, but when you have one or two that are struggling, I feel like the it's just harder to focus on how to fix it and maybe less risk and chance, you know, uh, le- less innovation is done at the ones that are struggling because they also have the other ones going on. And I don't know, I just feel like sometimes it's best just to have you know, more of the focus, but the way that, that all these companies are going is through that omni-channel. Uh, situation now where they have just multiple brands at multiple price points and can appeal to, you know, consumers across the the spectrum, really. So, yeah, we see that a lot in furniture. You know, if you think of Williams and Sonoma, they, they are one that's successfully doing it because they, too, have the rewards program across all of their brands. And so if you're buying some food at Williams and Sonoma, oh, maybe I'll buy some plates or some sheets at West Elm. And then you get the points and all of that for all of it. And it it is working for them on the furniture and, you know, home accessories side. What about uh, one of your favorite investments, RH, the, uh, the luxury furniture store formerly known as Restoration Hardware? What's going on? Yeah. You know, RH is kind of interesting here. So they are still in the growth expansion mode too. Most people might not realize that they are just U.S. domestic. They haven't gone anywhere else, but there is big demand elsewhere uh, for their furniture. You can still order it and have it shipped. <laughs> there are some some stories that Gary Friedman, the CEO, has told about you know them shipping furniture to customers in China. Uh, big, big sales in like Shanghai and stuff, but they are on the road to expanding in Europe now. This is supposed to be the year, but some of the COVID outbreaks and issues still with the supply chain, uh, especially in China, they do produce a big chunk of their furniture in China. So those COVID outbreaks over there have hampered them to some extent and caused delays in, uh, you know, getting some of the furniture out. So they're taking a little bit of caution on the open of their first European store. So they are going to open, I think it's called RH England, outside of London, which they are 
uh, in the future going to open up an actual London store. But this one is out in the countryside. They bought an old estate house that has like an orangerie and all that stuff. And they're restoring it. Of course, they have to follow the rules of the restoration over there. That's that's taking extra time. And they're going to open four restaurants on that property. So oh, it's wow. going to be, yeah, it's going to be a real destination type of place. Like you literally are going to be like, I'm, we're going to RH for the day and you're going to go out, yeah. maybe have a picnic. You'll see the furniture, you'll stroll around the estate, you know, maybe act like you're in the Bridgerton world or something like that. That's kind of Remember what I opened that first restaurant in Chicago. Yeah. Yes. That was, the first that one. was in a cool building. Was that in the, 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 was it the three arts building? Yes, it's in the Gold Coast. That too was a historic building. So they do have experience and a record now of a building and historic building. They just opened in another historic building in San Francisco down by one of the piers, which is the an old, um, oh, shoot, the name is escaping me now. It's It was empty for years and they they took like five or six years to restore that building. I, I honestly thought it would never open, that they would never get it done, especially with the COVID hitting while they were finishing it. But that just opened and that is a, a beautiful historic building that I- Is that I like the actually, Embarcadero area? Is my saying um, that right? Yeah, but a little bit south of that, like Mission okay. Bay-ish over there. Okay. I forget what the name. Oh, it's the gallery at the historic Bethlehem Steel building. That's what it was. Okay. Which you wouldn't necessarily <laughs> think about Bethlehem Steel, like out in San Francisco. But uh, that's where they went in. They have the restaurant there as well. And I'm I'm eager to go out to San Francisco and actually check out that one. I, I feel like you could do some vacations based on just where the RH uh, right. buildings are like the cool historic ones. I know that they, they have leased a cool historic space in Paris as well, because they definitely want to get in there. Okay, and so say, you France, could do cause... just like a, once they open up some of those over in Europe, you could do just like an RH trip, but got, isn't that You gotta better? be thinking that Gary is looking for a castle in Europe, right? Cause wouldn't well, a castle be ideal? <laughs> yes. That would not surprise me. Something like that eventually, because I do think think the RH England in this historic, you know, manor home out in the countryside is like the first step towards that. Uh -huh. And they are actually moving much more into hospitality now with uh, they're opening up RH guest house in New York City. It's not a hotel. It is like a little mini guest house for like a luxury experience with like no internet. <laughs> You're just supposed to like check in and, and relax and unwind. And in fact, I think they, he said they are not putting RH furniture necessarily in, in the guest house because it's not meant to be like a selling feature, but just part of the RH experience, mm -hmm. which is kind of where they're moving. Um, similar to LMVH, uh, which owns one of the big uh, travel companies now. They bought Belmond a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember them. They were publicly traded for years. They own luxury resorts worldwide and some of the luxury trains. And so L LMVH, you know, is going also into the same kind of experiences that RH is also expanding into, but RH takes a lot more grief for doing it for, for whatever reason. Uh, you know, people make fun of like the restaurants to some extent and 
the um, hotels, but you know, the restaurants that's working for a lot of companies. Uh, um, Oxford uh, is doing that Oxford industries. They own Tommy Bahamas and, you know, anyone who's gone to one of the Tommy Bahamas restaurants knows how popular those are. I went to two of them when I was out in California this spring and, you know, again, on the reopening, people want to be out out and socializing. Those restaurants had uh, just a phenomenal quarter last quarter. I think they have about 20 of the restaurants now for Oxford through the Tommy Bahamas brand. And, you know, that that's also where a lot of the retailers are going because the experience still does matter. I know we all went online during the pandemic and it worked. It kept the economy going. We were able to get everything we needed by the online shopping. But online is is kind of over now. Uh, I feel like a lot of people want to be back into the stores. They want to actually touch merchandise again. And, you know, the stores, uh, the the like foot traffic, most of the companies are reporting has been, you know, far better than last year. Obviously, there's less shutdowns or restrictions and people are just willing to go go out and go back and shop. Um, you can kind of see that a little bit with Wayfair. I don't know if you have you ever shopped on Wayfair? I have not. Okay. Uh, I haven't either, but I've been on the site and I've looked at some stuff on there. It's pretty overwhelming. Like they carry just about everything like you could want on there. But what, they are they just like uh, using Alibaba to drop ship stuff from China or what? don't know where they ship from. They have distribution facilities now, but okay. it's it's everything on is on there, it seems. But they, too, have started to open up brick and mortar now, which is interesting. So I was looking into this because I did hear that they opened up a store. So a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, they did open a Wayfair store. It was like a tester store out in um, near Boston where they were and then the pandemic hit and they they ended up shutting it. So that wasn't a surprise. But now they've just launched a store called All Modern. I'm assuming it's like the modernish type of like, you know, maybe uh, similar to some things that you can buy at like Ikea or even West Elm, that kind of stuff. And they they opened the store so you could go in because the consumer does want to shop in the store. And they have just about, uh, I saw about 10% of their online offerings are available in the store. But they're going to have an app where if you're walking around the store, you can scan in the QR codes for any of the products there. You can read online reviews, like as if you're shopping online, but you're like in the store actually doing it. You can look at other pictures of it. You can check availability. You can look at other like colors if it's like a frat fabric and see what else is available on the app. Uh, they also have the design services in the store, which all these stores are now going for. That's a big part of the experience of uh, furniture shopping, at least. They still have the free delivery. They'll do product assembly and installation. They're opening up a second one in a mall near Boston later this year. And then they have big plans. They're opening up a third one in Wilmette, Illinois. 
near near us here in Chicago that was in a former Carson store. They're opening that in 2023. And then they have a couple other brands. Uh, so they have this all modern that they're rolling out, but they own Joss, Joss and Maine. That's popular. And Birch Lane and Paragold is their luxury brand. Yes, Wayfair has a luxury brand. They're going to open up stores for all of those and including the Wayfair brand over the next two years. And um, there's some rumors apparently that a big Wayfair store could be going into a JCPenney that is not there any longer in the King of Prussia Mall outside Philadelphia, if you're in that area. So we'll see if that develops. Those are just rumors. But what's the what's you know, the stock symbol for Wayfair again? It's just W. But okay. the stock is just getting killed. It's down yeah. 73% year to date. Which makes sense, yeah. Yeah, they did put a hiring freeze in in May as well because furniture, well, both furniture and just home accessories have taken a dive now because, again, those are things we bought all during the um, pandemic. You know, we bought the bread makers and, you know, whatever other like little gadgets we needed, the new coffee maker because we were now working from home or, you know, not going to the Starbucks or whatever, but that's done now. We, we have enough bread makers. <laughs> like we don't need to buy yeah. another one. And now we're going out to the restaurants. So, so all of that, that was their bread and butter over the last two years is gone. And then furniture even has slowed too, which was expected. This is not any company's fault. But again, that you once you buy the desk for your home office, you're probably not getting another one anytime soon. Yeah. So that rush to all those items is done. And now we have bought the new couch for our living room, but we're now want to go on the vacation. So the furniture stocks have just been getting hammered. <laughs> when you t- when you talked about how Wayfair was expanding, you know they've got these these other brands and stores yeah. and luxury. Um, I thought, well, they're they're really using their their stock price, you know, their public e- equity investors to do this expansion. <laughs> and I just looked at the price oh. chart. The stock was uh, over three hundred and fifty this time yes. last year, and now it's uh, fifty dollars. Fifty dollars, I mean, right? Yeah. But hey, the so thing. The- thing I do have to say about Wayfair, I'm not a big fan of the stock and I never have been because pre-pandemic, they were never profitable. Like they basically used free delivery because they had to, to compete with like Amazon and they could never make money because you could order like the smallest little thing or even like a big couch and it was free delivery. And so they, they just got killed on the, the delivery side and their margins were terrible. But then they were making money during the pandemic because of uh, just the sheer volumes and everything. But now they've gone back to the dark side, as I like to call it. They're losing money again. They are expected to lose money again next year. And so I don't like, I just don't like them because when will they make money? Only during a pandemic can they make money. So I just don't like the model. Well, I want to talk about one of the most interesting stories that I've come across lately in retail is um, there's this this group that was buying like, you know, how many companies went bankrupt during Corona? You know, I'm sure, you know, dozens and dozens that we don't even know about, but some that stand out were uh, Pier One. So Pier right. One goes under files for bankruptcy, maybe in, you know, uh, in, in Q1 or Q2 of 2020. And then this group called Retail E-Commerce Ventures comes along and buys the rights 
to the Pier 1 brand for $31 million after they had, Pier 1 had just done like almost $1.7 billion in sales in 2019. And these guys come along and buy the rights to the brand for $31 million. I thought that was quite a steal. And they just took it all online. And, you know, they've got warehouses or whatever. And, and uh, you know, the Pure One is now just only an online brand. So I, I sort of saw them as, uh, you know, a, as a Wayfair in terms of uh, retail furniture and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then this group is this group is actually run by Ty Lopez and uh, a gentleman named Alex Murr, who was uh, a NASA scientist. Uh, but then he he had an, uh, he had a dating app called Zusk. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but he sold this dating app for like over two hundred and fifty million. And him and Ty Lopez formed this venture. They also bought Radio Shack and Dress Barn. I don't know if you know that those yeah. also were distressed. Oh yeah, they bought those, took them private, uh, and now they're just online businesses. Yeah, but I do have to question like uh, how well those are doing um, because there was one, uh, I don't know if you remember the limited, remember them? Yeah. They too, they went bankrupt and they were acquired by someone, maybe even these guys, I don't know. And they are all online as well now. And I was, I liked the limited. I liked what they offered. I was excited about them going online. I would shop online, but then it turns out it wasn't really the same product. Like it just wasn't because obviously not the same management. Um, okay, so they were bought out by Sycamore Partners, whoever that's like a similar Private probably business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I stopped shopping it. And then once you don't have a store, how do you get keep the brand loyalty? Um, you know, they had 250 stores, they they closed them all. And it's only online, so I don't know. I'm I'm not sure, but if if it's still operating, they must be having some success doing it. But and the same with Dress Barn, that was very successful. They had a lot of stores, but um, I don't know. So maybe know. the 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 pivot is um, a, a physical store sort of keeps it in sight and in mind, right? Because yeah. you think of oh, I drive by that or I see it. And so if if you don't have that, then your brand presence has to come through some way online in a consistent hey. way so people remember you. Yeah, Instagram or, you know, on social media, you have to heavily advertise, I feel, on social media or even catalogs because catalogs are still a thing. People mock them, you know, with everything being online now, but catalogs are highly effective, including, you know, RH is one of the few who sends out, they send out that huge catalog, but uh, they spend a lot of money doing it because they get the return off of that because you tend to buy more when you have a catalog. So, you know, the limited has not sent me catalogs, but um, Amazon sent me a holiday catalog in the last like two years with clothing, holiday clothing catalog, which they've never done in the past either um, because it does work. But yeah, like something like, but the limited has never sent me one. So I did forget about it until right now that we're having this conversation. So they went, 
They were purchased in 2017 by Sycamore Partners. So it has been a while since they were just did the online. And I did look online initially because I did miss the store, some of the items that they sold for years and years that I liked. But then it wasn't really the same items. You know, in the reviews, the people were like, this isn't the same pants that they used to carry. (laughs) And so then I just kind of gave up on it and went away. So, but if it still exists, they must be doing something with it. You know, they must be. So you think that, um, that brick and mortar is coming back. Um, yeah. and I can see that, you know, because people do want the experience of, you know, going to a store and, and then whatever, I, I, I suppose experiences will become more important. That's why restoration hardware is what it is because it's like, you're going to an art gallery to sit on furniture, right? Right. (laughs) Um, Right. And uh, how it makes you feel. You do get a rush, I feel, off of off of going there and and shopping or just wandering the aisles, right? You get like kind of like when you go into Target and you're like, I'm just going to buy shampoo. And then you leave the store with like eight other items. That's what it's (laughs) like. (laughs) That's like inevitable at the Target. Um, and Ikea, nobody does that better than Ikea, right? They have that whole marketplace at the very end of the store where you have to walk through it to get to the cash registers. And they're like, yes, I really do need these new <laughs> kitchen shears that are like $2.99 or whatever. Like, and you end up buying all that stuff. Um, but yeah, the the store aspect of it is still... Uh, still a big experience. You know, even though a lot of business has gone online and thanks to the pandemic even more so, it's still only about 20% of all online or all shopping is done online. 80% is still done in stores. And while that number may, you know, decline further, uh, it's kind of this myth that like, oh, we're all going to be 100% online. We're not, you know, it's just, it's not, going to happen. But the question is, what kind of in-store experience are you going to get? A lot of the big stores that, you know, they used to have. So for instance, um, H&M has a big store in Chicago on Michigan Avenue, but they, they've been there for 15 years and they recently announced that they are going to move out of that location. They're going to shut it, but it's three stories. And the top story was always like their home goods. And then they had, you know, the two other floors were clothing and accessories and shoes and things. Um, But they just may not need as big of a store now. They just can't, they can't sell enough to make that profitable, but they still want a store presence. So they're willing to go, you know, still have the brick and mortar, but it'll just be smaller and like kind of a more intimate experience. And then some of the stores will add, these lifestyle type features of, you know, restaurants and and things so you can kind of hang out in there or maybe even like a coffee bar or that kind of thing. You see that a lot, you know, we can uh, kind of make fun of Barnes and Noble or even the old Borders stores because they always had those coffee shops in there, but that was kind of a precursor to like what would happen and that we do like to have the coffee shop in the bookstore. <laughs> we will yeah. hang out there. Yeah. So, so I just looked up yeah. a Morgan Stanley report on e-commerce uh, okay. and you're right that it's, um, uh, you know, st- still only 20% and it's not, a, yeah. it's not growing as rapidly as I thought, but, um, you know, especially with now we're having this 
this uh, reopening bump, so to speak. Yeah. But uh, they see they see it at let's let's say it's twenty two percent growth uh, this year. Um, or and and twenty twenty one was three point three trillion for for ecom. They see it growing to twenty seven percent of retail sales by twenty twenty six. Wow. Which would which would represent five point four trillion in e commerce sales. So okay. it looks like the uh, it's going to accelerate here a bit for the next few years. Well, I think most of the retailers, you know, they they're especially since the pandemic, they're into the game of the online, but they also know the stores are important, but it doesn't mean you can't have a combination of both. So even pre pandemic, Williams and Sonoma with its brands was already over 50% online, even though that's like furniture and stuff where you do want to go in the stores, but some people just weren't near a West Elm store. So they, they were fine ordering it online or they ordered, you know, the sheets or maybe the plates or some stuff like that, that you don't necessarily have to go sit on or try out as much. And so they, you know, were already doing the combination and realizing that, uh, you know, it's not going to be just one or the other that a good company will have the combination of both things, you know, to, yeah. to really you, drive things. You know what, which player has surprised me that's held up so well is Ulta. And when I say held up, I mean the stock. Oh, yeah. So obviously yeah. the earnings have too. Uh, yeah. Ulta, Ulta shares are trading at 380 versus, um, you know, highs in the past year of 420. So, yeah. uh, they haven't had to close any stores, have they? No. Um, yeah, they, they keep rolling out expansion and they, part of their big push has been the experiences too. And now that they've reopened, that's means their salons have been able to reopen after the pandemic. They're like brow bar. So they've been very good at, you know, getting you to go to the store for these kinds of services, you know, a lot of like, uh, skincare things they have in in the stores now although i have heard from some friends that they want to go to the salons but the salons are having a hard time hiring hard hard time getting you know beauty beauty workers in there to like cut hair and <laughs> things right now apparently here in chicago so that that's a little bit of a hiccup for them but it, they're facing the same issues as as everyone with the worker shortages and uh you know rising wages and all of that that they have to compete to get to get the good uh workers in there but yeah also the beauty side has been pretty strong especially on the reopen we're going to uh weddings again parties things where now we won't be wearing masks anymore. So we want to invest in how we look and, you know, hair and skincare, makeup, all of that has seen a surge here. And we'll see how that does if we see a real slowdown um, or a recession. Usually beauty does pretty well during recessions. So I do like it. I own Ulta in my own portfolio for years. I've owned it. Um, but they, they have a new CEO and they're still just kind of, you know, going down the same path with the good brands and they have the great rewards program there that keeps people very loyal and they remember your birthday so it's always good you get a special gift um and yeah 
the yeah, loyalty we t- part we talked is about them. We talked about them maybe sometime in the past two years, and yeah. uh, you had told me about the management change. I think yeah. it's a testament to management and their strategy that things have held up so well that they that they survived the pandemic shutdown in, in a business that you know thrived on customer contact, right? Um, yeah. Nine, uh, under a twenty billion market cap, and they're projected to do ten percent growth to nine and a half billion in sales this yeah, year, yeah, and yeah. another, and right now projected another seven percent growth to ten point two billion next year. I mean, they're trading under two times sales, um, and so whatever they're doing, it's working. Obviously, that they needed to have that long term vision, like that model, that brand. And then that model of business of serving people in that way, um, they know has a, you know a tremendously long runway. Like the business should, should still be thriving fifty years from now. So they're like, right. well, we just got to make it through this this rough patch and keep doing what we do. And we don't know what percentage of sales shifted to online. What would you guess if you had to? Well, they did have almost everything was shut down at some point. Um, okay. You know, in most states. And then they did curbside pickup though. And a lot of people okay. did did go to curbside pickup. They have great distribution facilities in place and they already had that in place going into the pandemic. So they were already on to the online shopping thing. So they they were already, you know, well positioned when it hit. Um, but I don't know. I don't remember listening in what percent it was huge though. I want to, I mean, every quarter it seemed they would be like, you know, online sales up 63% year over year or yeah. whatever, but it was coming off of the lower overall totals. You know, it was like 10 and then during the pandemic, it was like 20% of all sales or something. And then now it's come back down a bit because foot traffic has picked up in the stores, but that is what they want you to do again, because I will buy more when I'm in there. It's the right. same way with the target. Like you'll, you'll go down some other aisle and you'll be like, Oh yeah, I forgot about this item. And you, you will buy more. So, yeah. so people, that's, um, uh, is that, uh, David Kimball is the current CEO. Oh, um, yeah, that who, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's what, right. yeah. And then I know you've talked about Mary Dillon before. Is she still there? Or was she? No, she's retired. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. she might be still on the board, I believe, but she she has moved to the sidelines now. Yeah, she, she was basically an architect of. Yes, exactly. Of she got him there from 2014, I think, is when she became CEO, and she was really there to push the uh, drive into digital with the distribution facilities and really growing that great rewards program and the success of all of that. And then she got them to that place. And then I think just felt like, okay, now it's time for maybe a new type of vision to see what the next level is. Because just before the pandemic, they thought about going international because you would think that would be the next level next place to go because sephora is international right and that's their competitor oh. but that's another level of complication you know because there is a lot of competition like so over in europe the boots brand that's owned by walgreens that's similar kind of to an ulta thing and that's super popular over there so are you going to compete against that or and sephora over in europe they were going to go into canada um but again there's other brands you know other companies that are up there kind of doing this similar thing. I don't know. It, it's going to be, 
it's going to be interesting to see if they still attempt to do international. There hasn't been, since the pandemic hit, it's been quiet and on the back burner because they have other issues going on, right? And there's still Especially is, since uh, all the all yeah. stores I've seen are like mega square footage too. You know, it's, the, it's that model of the big, you know, uh, right. sort of strip mall store where you've yes. got all the services, all the luxury services, and then just uh, displays of, of all the quality goods. Right. They they did always have the strategy to stay out of the malls and only do the strip malls because they are cheaper and there's a lot of parking and you just you go right in basically. Right. And that has worked well for them. Um, and then they did put the services in there when they started rolling out salons inside and then the brow bars and these other things. So, yeah, that's worked. And there still is parts of the country where they're not saturated, where there is still growth to go with new brick and mortar stores as well. I would think so. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, it takes a long time to really saturate the country. Um, years ago, like 20 years ago, there was a Barron's article. And in it, uh, one of the strategists was complaining about Starbucks and saying that they had reached peak, that there was nowhere new to go. <laughs> because they were in New York City and he literally said, there's five Starbucks on like three blocks surrounding my office in New York City. But what he didn't know was that on that actual time when that article came out, there was like one Starbucks in the state of Montana at the time. And like he just didn't get out into the rest of the country to kind of see what was going on. And obviously there's been thousands more Starbucks opened in the last 20 years in the United States alone. So yeah, it takes a long time to reach like that saturation level. Um, another area people might want to watch for innovation is actually in shoes and footwear. That That is an area that always does really well in recessions. So if you're looking for a retail play, but you're scared about the slowing economy and you don't want to own like an RH or something when the economy is slowing, think about shoes because it really is a, an easy way to upgrade your wardrobe. And if the consumer starts to pull back, they still will want some new things. And they do tend to still buy those Converse's, for example, or the Vans. Um, or whatever it is, whatever shoe it is, the Uggs from Decker's, D-E-C-K is the ticker there. Um, that one's down pretty big this year, year to date, down 26.4%. They are one of the premier retailers, I feel, um, out there. They also have the Hoka shoe, the Hoka 1-1s. Those are like the athletic shoes. That has become their second biggest brand now, and it really exploded during the pandemic. And they just recently opened up a brick-and-mortar store for that brand on Michigan Avenue, almost right across from the Ugg store. And so that's kind of a sign to me that they're starting to roll out brick-and-mortar for that brand. They're investing in it. But Decker's, you know, the Uggs still do well. I just, I don't know if you saw the video of the guy working out in the gym he was like doing weight training with uggs on that was that was <laughs> no. just out a couple days ago <laughs> kind of interesting um, was this on tiktok hey, or what yeah but hey you can wear them anywhere right um so they're they're year-round type of <laughs> boots and things but they have more than just shoes they do have uh coats and other accessories and you know some so apparel and stuff but Decker's, Decker's has a strong brand. So um, I would tell people like, look around at some of the footwear companies. Those stocks are down pretty big here on the sell-off this year, but they usually do well. So if you can get them at that cheaper price, 
then, you know, that's somewhere maybe to hide out. I'm not saying they've reached a bottom because if the economy really does slow considerably, they will, these shares will come down even more. So you might want a dollar cost average if you're looking at any retail right now. You know, I like the retail. I, I keep looking. I have a list of things that I like. Um, but other than like Ulta, which is holding up pretty well, everything else has pulled down considerably, but it still may go further if we, you know, really see a slowdown here in the next six months, especially into that holiday season. So, yeah, I don't know. Are you into the retailers, Kevin? Are you, are you uh, willing not, to buy here? Not, or? not really. Um, you know, it's just an area that I've left, uh, I let you be the expert, and uh, I wish I had bought Ulta on every dip. Uh, yeah. I might buy it now just because um, I think that's a tremendous success story with a lot of runway to go. And uh, yeah. and uh, at under two times sales, obviously, Wall Street still loves it. Um, yeah. So. All right. Well, we've discussed a lot here on this episode because there is always a lot going on with retail. And with these kind of market conditions and economic conditions, it's it's a little uncertain. Things are still pretty good for most of the retailers, depending on what you're selling. Um, but that could change if the economy slows further, because obviously we all pull back on what we're buying. But for now, some good success stories out there. I would stay away kind of from the furniture area or look to add if it drops further. But that area seems to be kind of um, on the outs right now. But we did talk about Wayfair, ticker WRH is another one, ticker RH. I do own that one in my own personal portfolio. We mentioned Williams and Sonoma, ticker S or WSM. They're more than just Williams and Sonoma. Remember, they own West Elm and Pottery Barn. And West Elm is still the hottest furniture brand in America. Um, some may say the world even, and it does double-digit comps every quarter. I don't know how. They keep selling even more and more furniture. But that mid-century modern furniture style just is still in and not going out. So uh, that's why you would buy Williams & Sonoma WSM. On a side note, I did own Williams & Sonoma for numerous years in my own personal portfolio. I did sell it earlier this year because I do feel like it's going to um, fall back quite a bit here and I might be able to get it back in cheaper later. So I just took some profits on that one. Uh, but that's the furniture side is still pretty complicated. I did not sell any of my RH. I still own that one. Uh, on the clothing side and uh, maybe on the restaurant side, Oxford Industries, I mentioned that one that owns Tommy Bahama and Lily Pulitzer. They are killing it because we're all buying clothes to go out and go to the beach. And then we're eating in the Tommy Bahama restaurants. OXM is the ticker, OXM. They just had a good quarter and raise guidance and you get a dividend, a little bit of dividend yield with them. Uh, Gap kind of going the other way. The CEO is out again at the Gap and we'll see what develops there. GPS is the ticker. Yes, I know it's, it's way low, it's gone way down, but I'm still not a buyer here because I want to get the best. So I'm, I'm on the sidelines, so I see what develops with the Gap and its brands. GPS again is the ticker there. And on the shoe side, 
Decker's is one to keep in mind. There's some others that I like as well, but Decker's got the Uggs and the Hoka's. So the ticker there is D-E-C-K. And as always, you want to be sure to subscribe to get all of our podcasts. And you can go listen in on our great older episodes that Kevin was on. The ones on, you know, when should you sell a stock? What should I do during the sell-off? Those are very good episodes to listen to. If you're getting a little nervous about what the stock market is doing, we've done several of them here this year in 2022. So scroll down and look at our old episodes. You'll find them. And I know you are listening to those old ones. So there's nothing wrong with that. They've got a lot of great information in there. So be sure to subscribe to get all of our podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Amazon Music. We're on Spotify and wherever else you can get podcasts, you can get them, especially again on SoundCloud. But get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.